Well, good evening. It is wonderful to be back in this room with people. Um, we haven't been together in this room, I, I think Bob was saying, since the Sunday right before Christmas. So, good to see you. Okay, the first, the very first line of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so the Bible tells this story of God creating everything. And it, it's marvelous. I, I love this world, this created world. And, and we get to live in such a beautiful part of it. Think, think, just think for a moment of the beautiful things you've seen recently. These snowfalls, they've just been wonderful. Think of the birds. Um, some of you maybe recently have seen the ocean. We get to see the mountains and forests and think of all the plants and animals and think of dogs. We have the most wonderful dog. His name is Buster. And, and I can't tell you how often when I'm with Buster, I just can't believe it that God made these creatures that can get so deep into our hearts. Think, think about the sun on a really sunny, warm day. Or, or what about um, sunsets? It seems like we get a lot of them here that are just wonderful. Or sunrises, the flight of an eagle, the way of a baby with his mother. This world is spectacular. And at the climactic moment of creation, God created humans. And he gave humans two jobs. The first job was to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and have dominion over it. That's the first job that God gave to humans. That's our primary task in this world, is to draw out of this world all of its potential. It's to be stewards of this world, to take care of it and to work it. Do you know what the second job gave human, God gave to humans was? Eat. That's the second command God gave to humans, to eat. In the biblical story of creation, humans are giving, given two jobs by God. Draw out all the potentials of this earth to have dominion over it and to eat. And that's why we're so hungry. If, uh, now, my wife, she's weird, but... Um, she doesn't get hungry after a day of not eating. It takes her several days. I feel it the moment I wake up, and I know I'm not going to eat that day. It starts assaulting me. And as I was reading and praying and getting ready for this, I knew why. This is not natural. We're made, we, God created us to eat. This, this is, listen to the exact words. Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. That's the second command God gave to humans. We have to eat to live. And God, the creator God, is so good. He's so full of love and joy and delight that he not only made us to eat in order to live, but he made this whole world as one massive banquet for us. A table spread out before us. Think of a juicy, ripe, plump tomato picked right off the vine. 
Think of zucchini and corn and asparagus and okra and watermelon and cantaloupe. God created us to eat, and then he created those kinds of things. That, that's just nice. It's just kind. We need food to live, and he not only gave us taste buds that will drive us to it, but then he created this kind of wild diversity of flavors. God gives us food. And when we eat, when we are at our best, we tell the chef, thank you, don't we? Right? When we're at our best, we remember the one who cooked the food and prepared the food and is sitting right across the table from us. And at some point in the meal, we acknowledge to them in whatever the culturally appropriate way is, thank you. And that's the way we were made. That's why so many Christians have a tradition of giving a blessing before a meal. Not just a thanks, but a blessing. What's distinctly Christian about giving the Creator a blessing before we eat food is that of all of creation, out of all the things God made, only humans do this. This is one of our uniquenesses. We bless the giver. We bless God for the food that he gives us. We respond to his blessing us by blessing him. You see, not only were we made so that we have to eat in order to live, we were made so that when we eat, we have communion with God. And at our best, we do. God created this world and filled it with his love and his goodness. So the only natural reaction we can have to God for this blessing, for the good world that he gives us, is to bless him in return. To thank him. To see the world as he sees it. It's good. To let the goodness of the world fill our hearts with gratitude and joy. And so it's no accident. That with that kind of beginning, the first sin in the Bible, the sin that broke the world, happened at a dinner table. It happened with food. You see, when when Adam and Eve, when humans turned against God, the sin that broke the world was centered on food. And that's not incidental to the plot. That's right at the center of the story. You see, earlier when I said that everything in the world was given to humans as a gift, actually I wasn't right. There was one thing God said humans couldn't have. It was not a gift for them. He did not give it to them as a gift. One tree, he said. He said, this whole world is your banquet, but one tree is not on the table. Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. The fruit of that one tree, whatever else it may signify, it was unlike every other fruit in the garden. It was not a gift to humans. And so when Adam and Eve ate from that tree, it was a meal not eaten in communion with God. It was the first meal eaten where the participants forgot the giver, where they ignored him. They didn't turn to the chef and say thank you. This is a picture of humans loving this world for itself instead of loving this world because it was a gift 
from the giver. Instead of using the amazing gifts that God has filled this world with, instead of using these gifts to enjoy God, Adam and Eve expected something that God had made for them. They expected it to do something for them that only God could do. You see, God, who created us, is our only true happiness. And we have loved this world. We love so many things in this world, and we forget God. And we do this so consistently that it has become the primary mode of living. It just comes so natural to us to go through our days forgetting God. We become blinded to God's love and presence that fills this world. And it's like sitting down to an incredible meal prepared lovingly and sacrificially by our mother or father and devouring it while ignoring the the chef sitting right next to us, thinking they had nothing to do with it, thinking that this is all for us and all about us. This world is a broken and fallen world because it has forgotten God, because it's fallen away from the awareness that God is all in all, and the accumulation of this disregard for God is the original sin that blights the world. We have to eat in order to live, and God made us that way so that our need for food would constantly lead us to enjoy moment after moment of intimate communion with God who fills all of this world with life. We don't, even, we don't only forget God at mealtimes, we forget God in our sex lives, and we forget God with our money, and we forget God with the way we order our days, and we forget God with our bodies, and we forget God in science, and we forget God in architecture, and we've made this our consistent mode of living. Whenever we use anything for pleasure or life or joy or satisfaction without communing with God and remembering that every good gift is from God and whenever we forget that God is a chef, whenever we forget that God is the giver of all good gifts, whatever we do that, whatever we do is destroying us. Whenever we forget God, whenever we live and act as if God isn't present, isn't our creator, isn't our lover, whenever we live our lives cut off from God, we are dying. In the day that you eat of it, you shall die. Whenever you cut off a living thing from its source of life, it dies. As Paul said in Romans, the wages of sin is death. And in Genesis, we're told that when Adam and Eve did this, when they forgot God and tried to find pleasure and satisfaction apart from God, we're told that that happened in the cool of the day. Do you know when that is? It's right before night. And so when Adam and Eve left the garden, where life was full and beautiful and filled with light and life, when they left the garden, they led the whole of the world into darkness. Do you see, the original sin is not primarily humans disobeying God. It's that they stopped being hungry for God. And for God alone, Adam and Eve started to think that they could fill their hunger apart from their creator. And so God himself took on flesh and came into this dark and broken and starving world. And in our gospel passage, he said, I am the bread of life which is exactly what a world broken at a meal that damned them to starvation needed. I am the bread of life. 
Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. A more literal translation is, I am the bread of the life. The, the definite article, the, is there twice in that phrase. Our, our English Bibles don't do that because it's so awkward. But I find it so helpful. Jesus is not just bread. He's the bread. And this bread that he has within him, this life that he has, it is not just some life. It is the life, the life you're looking for, the life you long for, the life that all of your hungers and passions drives you toward. Jesus is what we long for. All of our longings, all of our desires, Jesus is in them. He is the source of them. And they will only be filled when you give your heart and your mind and your will and your body and your imagination and the whole of your life to him. That restlessness you have, you will only find it healed. You will only rest when you rest in Jesus. Jesus says, whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He means this. This is the offer he offers to all of us. Over and over, we go through our lives forgetting God, eating meals that leave us hungry, getting the thing that we work so hard for, only that as soon as we get it, as soon as we buy it, as soon as we experience it, very quickly thereafter, it's gone. The pleasure is fleeting. We forget that we have to look beyond this world to Jesus for our true happiness. Over and over in John's gospel, Jesus says things. He looks at people and he invites them and he says things like, believe in me, come to me, accept me, look to me. This is an invitation when he says, I am the bread of life, he's inviting you to fullness, to stop being so hungry. And it's an invitation that's given in earnest. You have a choice to make. He's not going to make it for you. He offers to fill your hungers, but he won't force himself on you. Notice in verse 36 of our gospel passage, the first step is belief. Jesus goes on after saying, I'm the bread of life. He says, he goes on to say, but I say to you, I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. Belief is not something you wait for. It's not something that just washes over you. It's something you have to reach out for and take hold of. Don't wait until you believe. Believe. Reach out and take hold of belief. And some of you, the reason you do not believe is because you refuse to believe. Believing in Jesus is not a leap into the darkness. Some of you have a willful refusal to act on what God has set before you. Over and over, we are told by very sophisticated advertising campaigns that if we make a lot of money, if we buy this car, if we secure enough retirement, if we experience certain vacations or hobbies, then our own sense of safety and well-being will improve. But haven't you noticed it's a lie? Every one of us, each one of us, the only way to stop hungering and stop thirsting the only way is to make a personal response in faith to Jesus. Your response to Jesus has to be personal to be real. If you are an unbeliever, Jesus is inviting you 
to put your faith in him. Seven times in John's gospel, seven times, Jesus has these really long one-on-one conversations with a person without anybody else anywhere near. There's Nathaniel in chapter one. There's Nicodemus in chapter two and the Samaritan woman in chapter four. And what about Martha at the tomb in chapter 11? And then there's Pilate talking with Jesus in chapters 18 and 19. And what about Mary Magdalene in the garden in chapter 20? And then that amazing scene with Peter in chapter 21. It's just Jesus and Peter, just Jesus and Martha, just Jesus and Pilate. And so think about Jesus having these extended private conversations with Nicodemus and and with the Samaritan woman. And think, each of these people are full developed characters in the story. Those of you who've read these stories, you can immediately think about Nicodemus in the night coming to him or about the Samaritan woman or Pilate. Each of them have their own unique stories and they encounter, their encounters with Jesus are all different. And they each respond to Jesus differently and Jesus deals with each of them differently. Why? Because he wants that for you. Because Jesus doesn't just love the world, he loves you. He loves each one of us. With the Samaritan woman, Jesus initiates the conversation in this rather shocking and provocative way. With Mary Magdalene, it's the opposite. It's this tender encounter of a very familiar friend. Other times, the conversation didn't start with Jesus, but when somebody approaches Jesus, think Nicodemus or Pilate. And Jesus always interacts with these people on the basis of what they're going through in that moment in their life. Martha mourning for her brother. Peter suffering from his shameful failure. Jesus wants to meet with you every day of your life in the particular and distinct circumstances of your life. Whatever it is that you are going through right now, he wants to meet you there. Last night I found out my uncle died from COVID. I hate this virus. It's taking out my family. Jesus needs, he wants to meet with me in that. Uh, Last week I was meeting with my therapist about all this trauma I went through last year and he told me to carve out some time to pick one of these moments of trauma that we were talking about and to remember it, remember the sights and the smells and who was where and what I was wearing and to, as I dove down into the depth of that memory, he said, and then say, Jesus, show me where you were in that trauma and ask God to open my eyes up to how he saw what was going on. You you see what my therapist was saying was that Aubrey, God loves you. God wants to be with you in the circumstances of your life. You should expect Jesus to meet you directly and Intimately in the particular moments of your life. The Christian life is not simply a life of going to church and saying your prayers and following God's will. The Christian life is a life of intimacy with Jesus. When Jesus says that he is the bread of life, whoever comes to me shall not hunger, whoever believes in me shall not thirst, he is telling you that you can be so intimate with him that you can You can bring him deeper into your life than any other human. 
You can draw him inside of you and he can transform into you. You can have a personal and intimate closeness with Jesus that goes beyond what you can experience with any human being. And this is so important. To begin with, it's the only way you can receive eternal life. Jesus makes that explicitly clear a few verses later in verse 53. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is not enough simply to be in the church. You must come to Jesus. You must believe in Jesus. You must stop refusing to believe in Jesus. But, but this is not only about how we convert. It's also how we carry on with Jesus. The invitation is to an intimate and abiding relationship between you and Jesus day by day. This Lent, some of you have a chance to come to faith in Jesus. Others of you, we have an opportunity to renew our faith in Jesus, to deepen it. Perhaps your faith has been interrupted. Perhaps you've fallen away and you've begun to look at other things to fill you. Perhaps you've forgotten that you can only fill your heart. You can only really rest. You can only find true happiness when you look beyond this world to Jesus. Remember, the original sin is not primarily that they disobeyed God. It's that they stopped being hungry for God and for God alone. And that's why we need Lent. That's why we need to start it without eating. We need to remember that as much as that salad or that chicken or that ice cream or whatever would make you happy right now, that, that, that you need to remember that the only way to really be happy is to be hungry for Jesus and to take Jesus into your life. Adam and Eve started to think that they could fill their hunger apart from God. And we live in a world that is constantly brainwashing us into thinking that. This Lent, you have a chance to return to Jesus. Every day, use this devotional guide that Wilson prepared. It was so well and so lovingly prepared. And it's a way of praying where you just take 15 minutes and you get really quiet. And you let Jesus in. And you talk to him as one friend would to another. You step aside from all others and you talk privately with Jesus. Jesus is telling us that he himself is the baker and the waiter, the brewer and the cook, and he is the dish and he is the plate and he will fill our lives with imperishable food. We, you are all he wants And he is all you need. Just come to Jesus and trust him. That's all. And that's enough. Let's pray.